everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. All right, guys, so we're starting a new series today on idols, which out of curiosity, you don't have to answer, but if you were to answer it, I wonder when was the last time you sat through or uh, were part of a series or a church, maybe sermon series that dealt specifically with idols. And if you're anything like me, it has been a minute. And it's so interesting because idols is a daily thing of our life. And so I feel like as a church, as churches, we need to make a good emphasis. We need to make a good, uh, we need to be intentional in dealing with this idea of idols. And so for the sake of the series and for the, throughout the series, we have named it Golden Calf. Uh, which is uh, basically a uh, gold calf, or, uh, well, yeah, golden calf, meaning a gold ca- uh, cow. I-, I meant to say a golden cow. All right, there you go, cow, which, you know, calf, cow, pretty much the same. They, yeah, anyway, ask my Duma. Uh, so with this series, and we're going to see in the story in the Bible where that is going to hint to this golden calf and what it meant. But for, before we get there today, we're going to be talking about this idea of idols so that all of us here can come to a common ground. It doesn't matter how old you are, you are. If you've been in school long enough or if you've been in class, if you watch movies, if you have uh, seen TVs or shows, whatever, you have an idea of what idols are. You have seen idols. Think about Indiana Jones and then when he goes out looking for adventures and he'll come to temples and he, they'll send traps and they'll send things like that where it comes idols. If you're into mythology, you've seen the, the, the Greek mythology and how you have Zeus, Zeus or whatever you call it, and you have have those people, Hercules, and all those movies. If you've seen Disney, Hercules, the movie, one of my favorite movies in, in, of Disney is Hercules. You've seen the, the idols there. You see the images of gods and things like that. If you watch Marvels, you see the, the northern uh, mythology, like you got Thor and Odin and those guys. And so if you've been around, you have an idea of what idols are. And although it may seem like a little bit of fantasy, although it may seem like a little bit of like, like uh, the portrayal or like a movie movement or something like that, there is truth to all of those things. You see, us as human beings, and we, got, we have talked this in the past, we have an internal desire to worship something. We have an internal desire to follow something and to devote ourselves to something and so historically from the moment of creation till today and for the rest of history humankind will follow their hearts it will follow things that they will want to worship historically when it comes to idols what idols the best way that i will describe it is a, is a, an attempt by humans to uh, represent the gods that they worship. So you think about who they worship. You think about uh, the, the, some, some nations, some, his, uh, some uh, countries where they will worship the, the, the sun and they will want repre- to worship sun. So what they would do is they will portray or draw or, or create an image where they will look at it and it will be an attempt for them to represent what that god will look like. And then you go to, like we talk about Greece and all those in that area of the world, you see all the temples and how they created idols as an attempt to represent their gods. 
I come from a country where uh, the people there, the native, were very, they worship idols. And so this is not an idol, this is not an idol, but it's an attempt, it's basically what it would look like. It, they will grab an image of something like this, they will curve it into wood, and they will worship this as being the means that will provide to their things. To them, this would have been an idol. And so throughout history, you will see that it, throughout the world, throughout in America, in whatever language, whatever, there is an inward desire to worship something, which is why we have created things as we attempted to represent what it is that we're worshiping. And so today, it's not gonna, today we're going to be looking at this idea of idol because you'll see that you may not be walking with a thing like this in your pocket, right? You may not have a, a cat. I think this is maybe what it is, a cat, in your pocket that you worship, that you bring out, you look at it, and you, like, worship it, right? But there are things in our life that they will, say, they, they will serve the same purpose, that when we look at the definition, when we look at what it means to have an idol, you'll see that there are things in your life, things in my life, that are certainly idols, and we'll look at the Bible and how God deals with those things. And so for us to understand something, I want us to look at Philippians 3, 17, 19, and the verse will be on the screen, but this is what Paul is selling to the readers in this church. He's writing a letter to a group of believers, some of them who have been wandering away from their faith, some of them have, who are not longer walking in the way that they were supposed to walk. And Paul is writing to them, and he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Look, imitate me, he's saying, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in, uh, in us. Not only imitate me, but keep your eyes, keep your attention, follow the example of those of us that are still walking the way that they're supposed to walk. And then he says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemy of the cross of Christ. There were some people that he was thinking in his mind that as he's addressing things that he has warned them about, people that were followers of Jesus, but they now, because of the things of the world, they have followed, they have ignored their calling to God. And now, with tears, he's telling them, they walk as if they were enemies of the cross. And then they, of Christ. And then they said in verse 19, their end is destruction. This is, this is what describes, this is what, uh, how you will describe those people. Their end is destruction because their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with mind set on early things. So he's, he's describing who are those people. People that are fully for themselves. People that are all they care is about themselves. And so the way that we're going to be addressing this idea of idolatry, this idea of having idols in your life is this. It's that idolatry is a problem of the heart. It's a problem, a problem in your heart. It is not so much a problem of what image you worship, although we will get into that, but it's a problem of the heart that always is, that is always associated with self-centered. You will see that historically, and even today in your own life, the things that you will say are idols in your life, they're associated because you are at the center of it. You're, they're associated to you or they mean something to you because of what they give to you. So, for example, the native in the Dominican Republic, they will worship a god, the god of fertility. And it was this individual, this god that they came up with that what what in their mind was that when they got on their knees, they sacrificed, they would cut themselves, they would bring babies and things like that, and they would do such thing with the hope that, that this God will bless their land. This is what 
they would do. Now, and, and, and you and I are not walking around doing things like that, but nonetheless, you will see that there are things in our life that we worship them, that we want them in our life, and we have them in our life because of what they give to us, because of what we get from those things. And so this is the idea that we're going to be carrying on through this whole series. But for the sake of the series today, we're going to be in the book of Exodus chapter 20. That's the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Yeah, no, the second book of the Bible, how to confirm. Genesis chapter 20. And in verse 2, just four verses. In verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God right now is talking directly to Moses after he had delivered them from the captivity of the Egyptian. God had told Moses that the nation of Israel was to be a nation that was holy, that was set apart, a nation that would be different from any other nations around the world, a nation whose God was going to be God himself, the true God, the true living God. And so he's saying to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not have other gods before me. First commandment, you shall have no gods before me. You shouldn't have. It's not, a, it's not an option. It's not a suggestion. You shall not have any other gods before me. There's not going to be anything else that you will worship. Now, if I was to ask you, do you worship anything than God? I will, my assumption would be that everyone in this room will say no. If I ask you who here worships Suez, however you say his name, I bet you none of you will genuinely say, yeah, I worship him. If we go on a list of fake gods, probably the, the reality is that many of you, if I'm associated, my hope will be that none of you will say, yeah, we don't worship any of those things. And that seems true, but then look what he says next to add to this idea. He says, you shall not have other gods before me, and then you shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is the water under the earth. And we'll stop there. So if idols are a human attempt to represent who we worship, then you soon will find that they are through, that in reality there are other gods in our life that we're worshiping. If it's true that there is something out there that we devote ourselves to, that we follow to, if that is true, then the reality is that there are things in our life that is taking the place of God. And when God says, you shall have no other gods before me, then you soon will find that by the actions that you're taking when you're creating images, when you're worshiping image, images, when you're devoting yourself to these things, to these idols, then it will, there will be a context that will tell you clearly that no, there is something before God. And so then he, say, he continued and saying in verse 5, You shall not bow down to them to serve them, for I, the Lord your God, I am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the father on the, of the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. We're going to stop there. So just for clarity or for the sake of this message, we're just going to stick on that verse. And the first thing I want us to see is when he says about you shall not make yourself a carved image. You shall not make yourself a carved image. 
Now, like we talk about in the old times and even and sometimes in the world, even today, the way that they would do it's like as an attempt to demonstrate who they worship, they will grab wood, they will grab rocks, they will grab something, and they will curve it, they will cut it to the point that it will get to a point like this where it was something that they could look at it and worship it. God, throughout his Bible, and you'll see later on as we address his idea of the golden calf, he demonstrates and he talks about how he is unique God. There is no comparison. There is no way that you and I can imagine what God looks like. And to attempt to put him in something like this will be irrational and sinful for us to do. And so for something like idols is something that God hates, something that he's not, that he condemns, that he's not deal with it in a way that is easy and gentle you see throughout the old testament and even the new testament that the way that god will deal with idols is to be scared it is shocking at times so it says here you shall not make yourself carve images now when you continue to read it says it says you shall not make yourself carve image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above think about anything that is heaven so the description here is because of the time they would worship things from heaven the sun the clouds the rain and things like that now you and i are not walking around like that worshiping the sun and worshiping the cloud and worshiping you know whatever we don't do that and then it says later on and things from down the earth, or things, things that are on the earth and under the earth. Now, under the water, we don't worship fish. We don't worship the great whales. We don't worship all those things. But there is something here that would apply to you and me, and it has to do with everything that is on the earth. What could possibly be on the earth that could take the spot of God in our life? What could possibly this earth has to offer for you and for me that could take the spot of God in our life. If idolatry is truly, uh, is always rooted in heart and it is always associated with self-centeredness, then what, cop, what could possibly this world offer that could, take your pla- that could take the place of God in your life? Think about that question. Think about what are those things in your life that could potentially take, what does this world has to offer? That could take that place from you. Will you say that is your devotion to your friendships? Could your friendships be something so much that you value, so much that you treasure that it could take that spot in your life that is meant to be forgot? What about your accomplishment? Think about what you want to do in schools, what you want to, the grades that you want to get, the sports that you're playing. Could sports and grades take that spot in your life? You are not going out and actually with a piece of wood and a tinsel, you're not cutting out wood and describing, okay, this is all my grades. I'm going to worship them. But through your actions, is, are your grades taking that spot? Think about your future. Think about social media. Think about you fill in the, gla- on the, on the, on the, fill in the blank. And you will soon find that there are things in your life and in my life that truly take this place that is meant to be from God, that is meant to be for God. And God is saying to them, you shall have no other God. Not only that, you shall not make yourself a carved image. Then he proceeds and says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. Man, think about that. You shall not bow down and serve them. You think about in the Old Testament, there's a story of the king of Baal. It was a fake god that they would worship. And the way that they would do it as they would worship him, they were willing to do whatever it took. 
There's a story of Elijah, the prophet Elijah, who is making fun in a sense of how ridiculous these people were by believing or worshiping this, this God Baal. And one of the things that he was doing, he said, hey, to prove you who God is, I'm going I'm, to, let's make a fire, let, 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 let's make a thing, a sacrifice right here, and let's call from, from fire from heaven so that it will be consumed. And then he says, not only to make it, not only to make it even more interesting, why don't you put water, why don't you do X, Y, and things to make the point that, look, this is going to be an outrageous thing. Who would be possible, who could possibly do so, such thing? And so God, being the only true God, he actually does and consumes the sacrifice. Then it's the turn for the, for the prophets of Baal, those that worship Baal. And in their attempt and the futile attempt to get the, the, this God to answer their prayer, you see them like hurting them. You see them like cutting themselves and doing all of these things as a way to demonstrate that, look, this is what our God is going to do for us. And as the story continues, you soon find out that nothing happens. And yet, you and I may not be worshiping Baal. You and I may not have Baal in our life. But there are things in your life that you do follow. Things in your life that do, you do serve. That you do bow. And to put it clearly, look, think about mental health. Think about those things that causes you to struggle mentally. How they have a power in your life. How they have a saying in your life. To the point that they are, have the, the strength and the ability to bend you to their will. To make you bow down to them and to serve them. Whether it's friendship, whether it's future, whether it's possessions, whether it's relationship, whether it's, you know, social media. You fill in the glam. Things in your life, in my life, that when we're not cautious, that when we're not careful, we allow them to take the place that is meant to be for God. And in doing so, we find ourselves serving them and bowing them to their will. It's not going to look like this for you and me, but certainly there is something that we do worship if we're not careful. Things that will control us and force us to serve them and focus it to the word itself of them. And then the, 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 the verses continue and said, I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. Let that sink in. I'm the Lord, your God. I am a jealous God. I don't know about you, but that certainly scares me. Because what you see here, when he's talking about jealousy, it's not that toxic boyfriend or girlfriend that you had that is all about, you know, all about your grill, you know. When you do something or you say something or you're talking to somebody, it's not in a toxic way. I thought I was cool for saying like that, but you guys didn't laugh. Another time, nailed it. All right, I'm outdated. Um, So, yeah. It's not in that way. It's not in a toxic way where he's like, over, where he's like jealous because of, oh, this person right here has to put, this God right here has the potential of stealing him from me. Or jealous because, oh, I'm insecure in who I am. Or jealous because I only want, I only want to do things, you know, that, with disregard of this person. Jealousy here carries a different meaning. And then the meaning that it carries is a sincere, protective, or vigilante of one's right and possession. In that us, you and I, being God's people, God is jealous for you and me. In that it is his right, it is, it is his possession for you and I to be his. 
And because we are his, he does not share that with anyone or with anything. He is protective. He is zealous. And he's not going to play around because what is his is his. It's like a father with their child who is zealous, who is jealous of their kids. That they will do whatever it takes to protect them, to care for them, to be, for, to be there for them. And that don't matter what comes their way, they're going to stand in front of those things and protect their child. And at times when it's needed, if force is required, they will do what it takes to remove it. This is the God that we serve. The God that is started by saying, hey, you shall, have no, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no curved image that you will come up and do. That you will not bow down and serve to things. And now he's saying to you and me that he is a jealous God. Jealous meaning that if you're worshiping something that you're not supposed to worship, now you're in problem. You have something to deal with God. That if you're devoting something in your life that is meant to be for God, something that is only to be of God, and you're taking that place that is meant to be for God and put it something else, now you're dealing with a jealous God, a God that will not sleep on it, a God that will not just tread lightly, a God that is jealous because that is what he deserves. And then it says, as we continue to, to read, and I love this part right here. And, and, you'll, think, and you'll think about this idea of the carve, golden calf or the golden calf. There's a story that we're going to address later on down the road where he talks about how the nation of Israel attempted to create this image to worship God. And in their attempt, they did something that we're not supposed to do. And God dealt with them harshly. You think about the nation of Israel throughout their exodus and throughout the time in the Old Testament and how often over and over they tried to create images, they tried to create false gods and how God dealt with them harshly. But then I love this verse right here or this part of the story where he says, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So in the context right here, God is telling Moses, hey, I will deal harshly. And I'll, let's just read it so we, we, we get the context. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. He's saying here, I am a jealous God who will visit, who will deal with the, with the sin, who will deal with the idolatry, who will deal with the sins of not only the fathers, but even if their kids, if their kids were to follow, if their kids were to follow for the for the second, third, and fourth generation. He will deal harshly with those things. But then he says, but showing steadfast love to thousands. So whereas he's showing wrath on the two and the third and the fourth generation, he's willing to go for the thousands of those who love him and keep his commandment. So where on one end you have a jealous God who will deal harshly when we allow ourselves to place things in our life that are meant to be for his, for his, we also have the same God that is loving and caring, that it has a steadfast love that will endure anything, that is willing to help you and me to go back to the place where we need to be. And so to wrap it all up, to put it into perspective, here's what it means. There are things in your life, there are things in my life, that if we're not careful, and if we're honest, 
we allow them to take the place that is meant to be forgotten. If you're not a Christian, that's fine. I get it. I understand. I don't know how couldn't you put something else that is meant to be forgotten. But if you truly are a follower of Jesus, if you truly believe in the message of the gospel of Jesus, if we're not careful, there are things that you and I would allow to take the place that is meant to be forgotten. And the challenge that you and I have is that God is a jealous God that will deal harshly with those things. He's not just going to sit there and watch while you devote your life to things that are not going to do what, is, what they're meant to do. He's just not going to sit there and watch while you go and live your entire life serving and bowing to these fake idols that you have allowed. He's going to deal with you in a way, and he's going to deal with me in a way because he is zealous, he is jealous God. But the contrast is, is that we have his grace, his immersible grace, that while you and I were sinners, that while you and I will choose things in our life and we will allow those things to become idols in our life, he still loves us, he still cares for us, and he still provides a way for you and I to walk in a way that brings his honor and glory, that through his help, that with his help, you and I can remove those idols of our life and allow him to take the right, right, rightful place that he needs to take. There's a, there's a, a song we we're going to play, but maybe you can play it later on in your own time. It's called Clear the Stage. And I love this, this song because the background, and even as I'm interpreting the song, it carries the story of how Jesus went to the temple and, went and, and, and started cleaning all the tables. In the story of the, of, in, the, in the gospel, Jesus shows up to the samples, and, and they have turned the sample into a place of commerce, of abuse, of, uh, you know, taking advantage of people. And so Jesus is going to come, and he's going to clear the entire place. And the case he's going to make is that you guys have destroyed what this place meant to be. The reality is that you and I do the same things in our life. We allow things to corrupt our life, things that are not meant to be there, things that are not supposed to take the place of God in our life, and we allow those things. And when we do, we corrupt ourselves, which is why we desperately need for God to come and wipe us clean, kind of like Jesus to come and clear the whole thing. So this song, Clear the Stage, I love some of the things they say, and you guys in the band can come up. Uh, it says this, we must not worship something that is not even wor worth it. We must not worship something that is not even worth it. Clear the stage, make some space for the one who deserves it. Clear the stage, make some space for the one who deserves this. And I love this description. Anything I put before my God is an idol. Anything you put before God is an idol. Whether it's friendship, relationships, possessions, future, your jobs, sports, phones, media, video games, whatever. Anything that you put before God is an idol. Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. I think one of the way, best ways to know if you truly have an idol is to ask yourself the question, 
What are you always thinking about? What is the one thing that you always want? I remember that for me, a long time, an idol was a girlfriend because I could not stop thinking about wanting to have a girlfriend. And truly became an idol. That's all I thought about. That's all I pray about. That's all I try to get. But what about you? Anything that you want with all your heart is an idol. Anything that I can stop thinking is an idol. What can you not stop thinking? And anything that I give all my love is an idol. He says here, and then he says, and we can sing all we want. We can come to church. We can sing all we want. We can recite all the Bible verses we want. We can come here and pretend that we're the best Christians in the world. We can do all of those things. We can sing all the things that we want. We can sing all the things that we want. And then he says here, and still get it wrong. Because worship, because devotion to God is more than just a song. 